Thank you, choir. Don't forget Wednesday nights, Load the Loft. You've been thinking about uh, singing. Go by and visit with them Wednesday night and uh, just check it out. That'd be a great thing. Well, this morning we are in Acts 27. I invite you to take your Bible and go there to the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. And we'll be there looking at uh, packing for life's journey. Packing for life's journey. Now, just before we open the Word of God, I want to ask you, remind you, exhort you, that you be back here at 6 o'clock tonight as we pray over the coming school year. Many of our sister churches are going to join us here tonight. Our good friend Charlie Ward, Heisman Trophy winner from FSU Days, will be here. Charlie will be speaking to us. Uh, he's got a brief message. And then at the end, we're going to have four calls to prayer as we pray over students and teachers and administrators and for support staff as we ask the favor of God to be on this coming year. You know, there's been a transition at the superintendent's role in our county here in Escambia, but it's not just for Escambia County. Uh, it's for everybody, uh, be it uh, homeschoolers, public, private, uh, whatever you do, uh, we invite students to come and parents to be here tonight. We're going to pray, pray, pray for the favor of God to rest on us this night. So you join me at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a great night as we gather together. Well, we are in Acts, and we've come to the 27th chapter. Next to the end, we'll be in chapter 28. Next two or three weeks, we finish up, maybe four, uh, as we uh, run past Labor Day, looking at the book of Acts. Now, Paul is getting ready uh, to go on a leg of the journey. And I want to show you that map, and you'll see it pop up on the screen there. They are in Caesarea, where they have been for two years. And Paul has been in jail. He's been incarcerated. Uh, he has stood before three different tribunals, and he appealed to Caesar, and they're going to send him to Rome. Now, if you look on the map, you see way over here on the right-hand side, Caesarea. Caesarea by the sea. If you ever visit Israel, don't miss Caesarea by the sea. It's a beautiful place. And you go, that's where Paul was for two years in jail. He's going to get on a ship and take just a short trip up to Sidon. We'll look at that in the text in just a moment. And then he makes his way around Cyprus up to Myra. Uh, they make a stop uh, going by Snidus, and then they're coming down to Fair Havens. And we find them in Fair Havens. There is the end of our text today. Uh, Paul said, let's don't go. But the majority said, yes, let's do go. And they left Fair Havens, making their way toward Rome, as you can see it way up in the top left-hand corner. But from Fair Havens in Crete, trying to get to Phoenix, they couldn't do it because the hurricane blew up. And for 14 days, they are at sea. They cannot see the stars in the sky. It is a godless, scary two weeks as that ship is blown all the way across the Mediterranean to a little dot called Malta. There they'll stop. The ship is done. It's wrecked. It's ruined. They'll catch another ship in next week's sermon and make their way uh, up to Syracuse and all the way up to the three taverns and finally coming to Rome. Well, we'll take them today from Caesarea uh, just up the way in the first 13 verses of chapter 27. But if you're going to go on a trip, you need to pack your bags for the trip. 
Uh, I pack mine, my wife packs hers. We don't pack the same. You don't pack like I do. I don't pack like you do, all right? Uh, but you pack and you get ready. I was on a plane this week going up to Myrtle Beach and tried to help a lady get her bag up into the baggage compartment. I asked her, I said, what, you got a sixth grader in here? I took two of us to get that bag up. Uh, she didn't think about what she's going to pack. She just took everything in her house and put it in that suitcase and brought it with her. I think she had the china and the silverware. It had to be. I don't know. Uh, but the way she packs, not the way I pack, uh, but the way you'd do it, not me, or the same. But you pack. You must make preparation for a journey. That's why I brought this little bag. I never travel uh, except that I have this bag with me. Several years ago, I was getting on a plane, and one of our deacons was getting on the same plane, and I noticed he had a bag, and I said, man, I really like that satchel, and uh, he told me about it, and uh, I said, man, that, that's good looking. I like that. It's rugged, and you know, it, uh, well, about a week later, I looked up my office. I had a bag. That deacon loved his pastor, brought him a bag. I thanked him, you know. I thought, well, that's nice. Then I went and looked it up on the Internet. That's really nice. Uh, I, I'm, I probably would never have purchased that for myself. Uh, but it, it goes with me. doesn't matter where I go. If I'm leaving town, that bag goes with me at my feet. And uh, I keep, if I'm preaching, there's always my Bible. My sermon notes are in that bag, as they will be tomorrow night. When I head over to Mobile and preach in Fairhope, I'll be there tomorrow evening. That bag will be with me. Uh, there's medicine in there. There's a second pair of eyeglasses. I always take my second pair because if I break one, I'm in trouble. And I take that with me. And so I've got that in there. Then there's some other things that are in there that are none of your business. Uh, but I take that bag with me. Well, friend, if you're going to make life's journey, you need some things packed in your life, not always just physical items, but some things that would be internal, spiritual, relational. And we're going to look at those in our text today in a message that I've entitled, Packing for Life's Journey. Then we'll give an invitation, ask you across that balcony and on its ground floor to come. Be a part of the family of God. Come to say yes to Jesus. Come at the draw of the Spirit of God within your heart. Paul is leaving Caesarea in the ship, and we pick up the text in Acts 27, verse number 1. You follow along because this now is the word of our great God. When it was decided that we, underline that, we'll come back to it, should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. He's the boss. After embarking in an Adramean ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off of Snidus since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, 
and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous since the fast, uh, that being the day of atonement, uh, the fast was over, Paul began to admonish them and he said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was said was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. Next week, we'll see them in the storm. This week, they are sailing somewhat calmly along the seacoast and around Crete and toward the island of Cyprus. Now, when you get ready to go, you pack. No doubt Paul packed, and he is headed to Rome by ship. Dear friend, when you travel, there are essentials that you take with you. I don't normally wear these shoes uh, to preach, though I do from time to time. I was going to Alabama to preach a revival several months ago, and I got to Gadsden on I-59, and in my mind, somehow, I said, I have forgotten to pack any shoes. I had on tennis shoes, and I had to get some shoes. I called my wife. I said, find me a shoe store. She found something in Gadsden, Alabama. I pulled in just before uh, they closed. I ran in, and I pulled these off the rack, and I bought these shoes. And I've been wearing them, but I wore them today just because of that. I had to have some shoes, and I got them, and I preached in them all week. Whether they matched or they didn't match, I preached in these shoes all week long because I had left some essentials in Pensacola. Well, when you make life's journey, there are some things that are essential for your travel, and I want to show you three of them in Paul's life this day, and I want to encourage you that you would pack these in your life. First of all, I'm here to tell you that if you're going to make life's journey, from beginning to end, first of all, you need close friends. Close friends. Yes, indeed. You, you find that uh, when it was decided in verse 1 that we, we, Luke is writing this text. Luke is part of the we. We do not find him saying we since the 21st chapter of Acts. He's been telling the story story in 21. He said we. He didn't say that all the way now. He gets to chapter 27 and he uses it again. The plural. We. Luke was in the ship. Luke was his friend. Luke was along for the journey. He didn't stay back. He could have. But he got in the ship. Then we find in verse 2 that we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus. This is his second close friend, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. Luke is a Gentile. In Colossians 4 and verse 14, we find that he is the beloved physician. He is a medical doctor taking care of Paul, and now he is in submission 
unto the Lord God. This Gentile was in jail with Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 11. We find that Luke was jailed with Paul, and there they were together. And then we find Aristarchus in chapter 19, in verse number 29. He is called the traveling companion to Paul. In Colossians 4 and verse 10, Aristarchus is called Paul's fellow prisoner. He as well was in jail with the apostle Paul. And then in Philemon and the 24th verse of that little book that only has the one chapter, Aristarchus is called Paul's fellow worker. If you're going to travel, you need close friends. If you're going to be successful, you need close friends. Say, Pastor, how many? Well, let me tell you, if you get as many as you've got fingers on one hand, I'm talking dear close friends, you are a wealthy individual. The Bible says if you want to have friends to do what? Be a friend. If you're looking for friends, just simply be one and they will rise. Now, I'm not talking about just acquaintances. I'm not talking about someone that'll just go to dinner with you. I'm not even talking about someone that might buy your dinner. I'm talking about someone that'll take a bullet for you. Lay down their life and be close. No, if you've got those, you've got one of the essentials for being successful in life's journey. A true friend will speak truth to you. Amen. I got a text yesterday from a friend. Oh, it's Friday. And he said to me, Ted, I'm, when he told me what the decision, he said, I need somebody to tell me the truth. He said, I don't need you just to give me what you think I want to hear. Tell me the truth. And so I tried to do that. You know, real friends tell you the truth. They speak it in love, but they do tell you truth. Oh, you need close friends. David, when you just look at David's life in the Word of God, You know, in 2 Samuel 23, I've often spoken of David's three mighty men that went and got that water for him down at Bethlehem. All friends that were willing to lay, it says they risked their life. They went in jeopardy of their life for David. They laid down their life. Jonathan, oh, what a friend was Jonathan to David. He came to him and said, Saul's going to kill you. You got to go. Jonathan. Oh my, what a close friend. But David's got another man who's called a friend over and over. He's not as well known. His name is Hushai, H-U-S-H-A-I. It's called David's friend three times in the Word of God, Hushai. Hushai is the one who put himself in harm's way for David when Absalom was coming against David. On three different occasions, Hushai came and he helped David win the day because he put himself in harm's way for David. As a matter of fact, he even lied a little bit just so he could get David where he needed to be for safety. Thank God for a friend who laid out his life. And then, of course, what a friend we have in Oh, yeah. All of your sin, your grief to bear, glory to God. The Bible says that Jesus was a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. You know, a tax gatherer was a thief. 
He got the tax he got to give the Rome. Then he took enough for himself. Tax gatherers and all the rest of the sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Are you a friend to any sinners? Let me tell you, if you're a friend to anybody, you're a friend to sinners, all right? Amen, that's all of us. None righteous, no, not one. Oh, we need these close, close friends that would lay down their life for us. I came to church today in my daddy's little red truck. Doesn't have any air conditioning. Just roll down the window. As my best friend's truck, best man in my wedding. That's the man when I told him, I said, I, I think I'm going to ask Liz to marry me. What do you think? And he said, do you think she'll say yes? <laughs> I said, I believe she will. He said, you better go ask her before she changes her mind. That's what I did. <laughs> as my best friend. As man taught me to change a tire on a vehicle. Get this wrench, son. Run over here. You're going to have a flat one these days. You're going to need to know how to do this. He didn't buy me a AAA card. Gave me a tire too. Said you need to know how to do this. As a man, I watched people coming against him, stood like a rock. That's the man that stood with me. That's the man that told me the truth. I'll never forget a few years ago he called me. I was preaching out a good bit. He said, proud of you, son. You're doing great. I see you going over here and yonder and preach. He said, you know, you might want to check in with that church every now and then. They're paying you salary. You might ought to stay at the house a little more often than you are. I said, Dad. And he said, I, I, you didn't ask, and I didn't think you ever would, so I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> your father's not always your best friend. If he is, thank God for that. I bury a lot of people. And often I'll talk to a man bearing his wife or a wife bearing the man and they will often say to me I'm bearing my best friend today not everybody's married to your best friend but if, if it is oh thank God for that you ought to at least like them can I get a witness doesn't mean they're your best friend every time that's your spouse sometimes it's different but sometimes that's your best because they would take a bullet for you. Paul had them. Here is Luke. Here is Aristarchus. And they are sailing with him. So, one man I read this week said the only way they could have gotten on this ship is either they could have said we will serve Rome or they would come and say we are slaves of Paul and we come to serve him. Wow. Not sure how they got on the boat, but they got on it, and off they go. Number one, you need close friends. Secondly, you need a church family. Notice that they're, they're sailing, and the next day it says in verse 3, we put in at Sidon. You saw that on the map, that first little place, that first little stop 
They stopped at Sidon, and the Bible says in verse 3, And Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Paul showed up at Sidon. He had friends there. I'm here to tell you there was a church at Sidon that knew the apostle Paul. He never wrote a letter to Sidon, but he had friends that were there. No doubt there was a church that was there. And there they went, and Julius said, Okay, I know you'll come back. You go. They're not going to do anything uh, because we've got to take you to Rome. But I'll give you this time with your friends. And he received care. Paul's got a physical ailment. This word care in verse number three is, speaks of philanthropic. That They're doing something for him. They're giving to him. Maybe he was sick or just needed the doctor. Maybe he needed a little rest before they went. But uh, here they're taking care of him. Friend, listen to me. You need a church. One more time. You need a church. Amen. You need the church. What is the church? The church is the ecclesia. It is the called out. Those that have been called out of sin and into the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church. The church gathers at different places. Paul wrote to the church. 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he said to the church at Thessalonica two different times. When he wrote to Galatia, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, he did not say to the church. He said to the saints, to the hagias, to those holy people, those that were called and touched by the Spirit of God. But my favorite salutation is in 2 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at this up on the board. John wrote, the elders, John, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. My goodness, not only I, but also all who know the truth. He, he said to the called people, to that group, the chosen lady, that's the church. The chosen lady and her children, amen. That's the church of the living God. The last book in the Bible, the Revelation, is written to seven churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Pamphylia, to the church so forth and so forth and so forth. Seven letters he wrote to the ecclesia, to the church. You need a church. Everybody in this room needs a church. Adrian Rogers. He was Brother John's pastor for a while. He became my acquaintance, somewhat of a friend. I can always remember Adrian saying that every person needs an earthly home, a church home, and a heavenly home. Amen. That'll preach. Every person needs an earthly home. Do you know that not everybody has a home? 65 million people in America tonight will go to bed alone in their home by themselves. Divorced, widowed, single. They need a church. They need people. Why are they running to the bar? They're looking for church. Why they're going to the club? I'm telling you, they're looking for what the church can offer. Everybody needs an earthly home. If you've got one, you ought to thank God for it and guard it with all your soul. You also need a church home. Amen. A place where you come and 
are fed. You fellowship. You invite people. You need a church or something, you need to join this church today. You need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to be a part. You say, well, I don't know. It's, it's not so good. Well, friends, if, if you're looking for a perfect church, I beg you in Jesus' name, don't join ours. Number one, because if you think it's perfect, it's not going to be after you join it. And number two, it's not perfect before you get here. These are a bunch of saved sinners just gathered up in a pile. Doing the work of God. You need a church. Everybody needs a church. And you ought to join the church. After you join the church, you ought to serve. You ought to serve. Come, get your hands dirty. There's work to be done everywhere you go. Just serve, serve. There's a whole generation of baby boomers. That's my crowd, born from 46 to 64. And all of a sudden they're retiring and they're retiring and they're retiring. And, and, they're, and so they used to be hooked to the church. They're still here, but now they've moved away a little bit, and they're not working full-time. And, and, and so they're here, but they're not always here because they're traveling and doing things. Let me tell you, friend, you may need to team up with somebody else. You may not be uh, here all the time. Uh, you may travel, do some other things. But, but I'm telling you, you don't need to give up on the church no matter your generation. No matter if you're an Xer or a millennial or a boomer or an old person. Notice I differentiated between boomer and old people. I'm saying you need the church and you need to serve the church. You need to support the church. They give you tithe, give you offering. We're getting ready here and next month is million dollar September. We're going to pay off this uh, early learning center out here. Can I get an amen, Drayton? Yeah. We're going to pay that off. And after we do, we'll have more and more and more money that we can help people. Because we'll get rid of that payment and we'll be in better shape. We're already down the road. You can give. I got an envelope this morning. Say, Pastor, I can't give $10,000. There's 90 people in this church can give $10,000. And then we just need a little bit more and everybody chip in. I got an envelope this morning with $300 cash in it from a Sunday school class. Said, we, we can't give that big amount, but we can give this. Well, that's what we need. We need everybody. The largest to the smallest, everybody together, and we can do more together than ever do separate. You, you need to serve. You need to support. But now listen to me. Listen to me. You don't just need to serve the church. You don't just need to support you. You need to speak for the church. You're the mouthpiece. You say, Pastor, I thought you was the mouthpiece. No, no, no. I'm just on television, radio, that. But let me tell you, you go places I can't go. You, you speak the gospel. You, you speak the good. You need to speak up a good word for your Lord, for your church, for your Sunday school class. You need to say a good word. I was, this week, I, I got on an airplane. There was a beautiful college senior girl sitting next to me in the middle seat. And there's an old ugly man down there next to the window. He worked construction. And he looked like he did. He's tough. This sweet little girl sitting there, and she had those white earbuds in, you know, with no cords on them, just stuck in there. And uh, she's listening to her phone. And after a while, she took them out. And she asked, she said, what do you do? Hmm. <laughs> and so I began to delve into the gospel a little bit. She said, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I just... 
I'm just open. I, I'm not really committed to anything. She said, I'm just open. Just everything's true. I'm like, Lord, help us. But that's what she believed. And then she asked me this question. She said, you're going to preach tonight? I said, yes, I'm going to be in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'm going to preach. She said, what you going to preach on tonight? I said, well, I got two things I'm kind of thinking about. And she said, well, tell me one of them. So I decided I was going to preach on the Roman road that night. <laughs> Man, I, I tried to give the gospel, but, you know, she, she's just like, well, that's good for you, but not good for me. And then, so did, were you successful? Well, yes and no. I delivered but she didn't get saved. But I'm not the Savior. I'm just the mouthpiece. God does the saving. I do the talking. Friend, friend, you're successful if you just get the gospel out there. The gospel is power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Tell it, tell it, tell it. You say, I don't know how. Get you a track and just give them away. Just tell it. You need, you need to join this church, and you need to serve the church, you need to support the church, but you need to speak for the church. Brother John, I gave the invitation, kind of weird in the first service. He sang one verse, and I walked out there in the foyer. They filled that room up out there, didn't they? Harlan's there. We couldn't find people. I was jerking people. I said, go help them. It, it, it was just a great morning. But when I first got out there, there was an old boy standing in there crying. I shared the gospel with him twice. I've been to his house and shared, and then he came to my office, and I shared Jesus with him. He sat right there on that empty bench with nobody on that second row. He sat right there on the end this morning. He was standing in that room crying. When I got there, I went in, stuck my hand out, and called him by name. He said, I don't know what to do, but I'm ready to do it. <laughs> the Holy Ghost done dealt with him, I guarantee you. And somebody dealt with him, and after a while, he came out, and he, he'd wiped his tears away, and he said, Pastor, I took the first step. Let's go. Shoo. I was about to run around the building. I'm, I'm telling you. I'd shared with him. He got saved. I tried to get in. The lady caught me. She is crying. She said to me, said, Pastor, and pointed to her husband. He's standing right there. said, my husband, he just got saved. I've been praying for 20 years. He gets saved. He got saved right here in this room this morning. Gave his heart and life to Christ. I hugged him. He hugged me. I said, glory to God. I started back. And somebody else grabbed me. And the lady looked at me. She said, and I can't remember exactly how she's related, but she's kin to Dennis Wilson, who was in our church. He's buried and gone to heaven now, one of my dear friends. I'm related to Dennis, and our whole family's moved here, and we're joining this church. See, friend, the Spirit of God does the drawing. We speak the gospel, and the Spirit of God draws. And when he draws, then we lead people, and they say yes to Jesus. You need a friend to tell you the truth. 
Glory to God, you do. But you also need a church family. And there's a third thing you need out of this text. Not only do you need close friends, you need a church family. Some of you need to come join this church today. But thirdly, you need a calm faith. A calm faith. Now I want you to look in the text. They're they're going. And and they're sailing off Crete. And they get to verse number 8. And they were having difficulty. And they sailed past it. And they came to a place called Fair Havens. Fair Havens, which was uh, near, which was the city of Lycia. And when considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, because it's the year 59, 59 A.D., it's been the week of the atonement in this text where the fast is over. And if that's the year 59, we know it's October. Friend, you don't sail across this Mediterranean late October and into the winter. That's why Paul said in Timothy, he said, please come before winter. Come before winter. Because he knew if they waited till winter, they couldn't get across to sail, get to Rome where he was. They're right on the edge of, of it being a dangerous time to be able to say. And Paul says, men, I perceive in verse 10 with certainty with the, well, there'll be damage, great loss, not only the cargo. This is a wheat ship coming out of Alexandria down in Egypt, which was the breadbasket for Rome. They were bringing wheat up to Italy. And next week we're going to see they jettison all that wheat. They throw all the wheat in the water. Because they're just trying to live when they get in this bad storm. And Paul said, we're going to lose the cargo, we'll lose the ship, maybe also our lives. But the centurion was persuaded more by the pilot and the captain in verse 11 than what Paul was saying in verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable for wintering. They did not want to stay in fair havens, but they said, let's go. And the majority said, let's try to get to Phoenix. And they slipped the ship out and head to Phoenix, not very far. But the storm catches them. And in the middle of that, Paul has a calm faith. Sometimes the Lord calms the seas. Sometimes he calms the sailor. Jesus could have said, peace, be still. And it would have been like glass, but he didn't. It was 14 days. We'll see that in the rest of the day. It was 14 days the ship's turned upside down and around. Oh, they can't get it going straight. In the middle of that, Paul has got a calm faith. He spoke his mind, gave his concerns. Paul's already been shipwrecked three times, according to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. He knew what shipwreck was. He was shipwrecked three times, and he said he spent a day and a half in the deep. He wrote that before this. He's got his fourth shipwreck coming. But after he spoke spoke his concerns, he submitted to authority, then he trusted the Lord. Paul wrote Romans. He wrote chapter 8 and he wrote verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. God will take your storm work it for good. Amen. The psalmist knew in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. Oh, my goodness. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust! Exclamation point. Paul is trusting with a calm faith. Hallelujah. 
Friend, you need to be, if you're going to make it from beginning to end, you, you need those friends, you need that church family, but you need a firm, calm faith in the middle of the storm. What kind of faith do you need? Well, first of all, you need saving faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. You need to call on the name of the Lord and he'd save you. God reach and get you. I was out there. I'm telling you, we just had a lot of people come this morning. Mom and daddy came, had two little girls, two children. They came, said yes to Jesus. Had another little boy came. I'm ready to trust Christ, be baptized. He trusted the Lord. Those two grown men came. Said They all said, for by grace are you saved through faith, faith that you believe. Some people say, well, you know, if you're trusting faith and you're doing the work. Friend, you're not doing the work. You're receiving the gift that God gave you. If you get a gift, you have to unwrap it. God gives you the grace. You unwrap it by faith. You trust him just like you're trusting that pew right now. You sit down on it. You believe it's going to trust you. You're going to sit there. It's not going to fall out from under you. Let me tell you, you can trust Jesus for eternity. You need a saving faith. Secondly, you need a sustaining faith. When you're going through the storm, you need faith that will sustain you. I got a call, the email really, from a gentleman. He said, my mother watches you all the time on television. She's up here at West Florida Hospital. She's dying. Just wondered if you'd come. I went in that hospital room. She was all by herself. That lady was 102 years old. Had cancer. Just a small, little, frail. When I walked in the room, she looked up with a big smile on her face. She said, my goodness, Pastor. I didn't think I'd ever meet you. (laughs) I took that lady's little hand. It's just, I mean, I don't have big hands, but my hands look like Shaq's hands compared to hers. She laid that little petite pale white hand and I held her hand her, her, her son had wanted me to make sure she is ready and I asked her she told me when she is saved she trusted Jesus she said if I die today I'm ready to go huh. she looked at me and she said you know I'm 102 years old I said yes ma'am I, I was aware I held her little hand and I prayed They checked her out of the hospital the next day. A couple days later, I got an email from her son. said, oh, thank you for coming. She was by herself. Nobody was with her in the room. He said, thanks for coming. You so blessed mother. But now the truth of that is, that's not what happened. I didn't bless her. I got to bless her. I saw sustaining faith. I saw a woman looking death right in the face and saying, go to hell. I'm headed to glory. Amen. Do you know the last enemy you're ever going to face is death. That's what the Word of God says. And he's a toothless dog because Jesus already conquered death when he got up from the grave. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And that lady had had saving faith, then she had sustaining faith that was seeing her through all the way to the day when Jesus says, come up higher, come up higher, come up higher.
they'll lay her little body in the ground. But I'm telling you, she'll be absent from that body and present with the Lord. Why? Because of what Jesus did for her. And she put her trust in him. As I said, sometimes he calms the storm. And sometimes he calms me. I don't know where you are today, but you're somewhere on the journey. You've left Caesarea, and you're headed to the end of the line. You don't know when it's coming. Little fellow out at Wahoo Stadium died this weekend in a wheelchair, used to greet all of us. Just a young boy stepped on the other side. Yes, sir. You never know when that's coming. God knows, but you don't. You better make sure you've trusted the Savior with saving faith. And then after you trust him, you walk in the journey. Ups and downs and fair havens to Phoenix. <laughs> then God will see you through all the way. These guys wanted to get to Phoenix. They thought they'd be safe in Phoenix. They never made it to Phoenix because... The wind washed them out. You may have a plan and life turns your boat upside down. Face it with calm faith. Trust the master.